Welcome to the C3 Church Watson Podcast. Our vision is to connect you to Jesus, develop you as a follower of Christ, and empower you to build the church. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. I thank God for His house. I thank God for the sanctuary that is the local church. Because it's in this place that all of the things that God's got for you will actually come to pass. There's a theology for it. Here's the irony. When Peter was asked to confess who Christ was, he said, who does this, this, this person say that I am? He said, well, some say this, 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 and this. But what about you? He said, you're Christ, the Son of God. Now wait for it. He says, flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but it's been revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And on this rock, I'll build my church. Guess what? Our identity, because Paul, I'm sorry, because Peter told Jesus who Jesus was. Then Jesus told Peter who Peter was. When you find God, you find yourself. And here's the skinny. It was synonymous with the establishment of the local church. Our identity and the local church are inseparable. There's a supernatural connection. Hands up if you'd like to know why you're here on earth. Hands up. Just me, just a few. Well, guess what? You will find it in the house. You might be called into the secular, you might be called into the sacred, you might be called into both, but it's the local church where you'll find revelation about your future. That's where Peter found it. It was in the revelation and then Jesus said, okay, I want you to build the local church. I'm gonna build it on you, you're the rock, right? But identity was synonymous with the birthing of the local church. You know, the, uh, the book of Philippians, Paul, you shared out of chapter one and it is a wonderful message to the church in Philippi. Philippians was all about the Christian experience. Paul's been onto something all the way through the New Testament, mostly unity, but this ongoing revelation of who Jesus is. And uh, in chapter three, which is what I'm going to share out of today, it's flanked by chapters two and four. Isn't that it's groundbreaking, isn't it? Amazing. My kids say, Dad, you're so smart. Chapter two is a very powerful chapter. It deals with imitating Christ's humility. It deals with... Um, laying your life down. It deals with preferring others. It deals with not taking advantage of all the great and wonderful things on your life and not abusing the grace on your life. That's what it's dealing with. Chapter four goes into the zone of mental health. Paul's saying that anxiety is a substitute for prayer and that really you've got to get control of your thoughts. Very difficult, right? Hardest verse in the whole Bible, do not worry. (laughs) Hardest verse in the Bible, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is a substitute for prayer. We tap out of prayer too soon, too quick, too early before the Holy Spirit can bring lasting change. Do you know what eclipses happiness? Freedom. Freedom eclipses happiness. I want you to write this question down if you're into taking notes. You ready for it? The most important question we should all be asking ourselves is this, not am I happy, but am I free? Am I free? Because freedom eclipses happiness. And when you pray, you go on the journey into great interior freedom. Can I just say sometimes it's instant, but for the most part, it takes a lifetime and God's goal is not our happiness. His goal is to transform us into the image of Jesus and he spends a lifetime doing it. So don't don't be in a hurry. Don't force his hand or put a time limit on it. Enjoy the journey. Don't, and by the way, if you're in pain right now, this is a prophetic word for you. Do not be in a hurry to get out of the pain. Let God do a deep work because it is His work. It's not your work. It's His work. And no one can say they're ready if they're not. There's many people out there who actually try to get off the operating table, try to get out of that place where God is doing a great interior work. 
and they leave that moment prematurely. He says, so sorry, God, too hard. You're going to have to do this without me. And he says, but I haven't, I haven't finished my work. Don't ever interfere with God's deep work of transformation. Because when the time has come, you'll be so thankful. The rewards of staying with God are enormous. The rewards of cooperating with God are enormous. This chapter 3, right in the middle of chapter 2 and 4, is extremely powerful because it deals with the idea of intimacy and loving union with Jesus, which comes from faith. God always leaves room for doubt so that faith is a choice. Always. Faith is a spirit. Have a listen to this. Philippians chapter 3, it says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. You can read a passage of Scripture when you're 16 and it means something and then read it again when you're 41 and it means something completely different. (laughs) And that's usually a sign that you've journeyed with Jesus. That's usually a sign that He's done some work on you. That's usually a sign that you've taken ground. What I understand the Scripture to say is this, that before you gain everything in life, you first have to lose it all. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. But in Christ, the way up is the way down. You've got to lose it all before you gain it all. And the reason it's taken off us is actually the sign of God's love and grace because the desire to get more and the desire to hold on to and the desire to be attached to things in an unhealthy fashion are killing us. They're suffocating us. We don't realize it. Do you know, it's interesting that the way the Alaskans catch wolves in the snow is they don't take guns and chase them through and shoot them. They just get the dead carcass of a rabbit and they put it on the top of a a submerged buried knife in the snow. And then they put them all over the snow and then they sit in the vans and they drink scotch and smoke cigars and then they whistle and the wolves run out of the forest. And they all start to feast on the dead carcass of the of the rabbit submerged in the snow now this might sound pretty graphic but in the process they cut their tongue on the knife they think they're tasting the blood of the dead rabbit but they're not they're tasting their own blood and before you know it they bleed to death they collapse they die the alaskan hunters get out of the cars they gently stroll over to the wolves they pick them up put them on the van and drive away my point is this that sometimes we can be bleeding to death and not even know it Sometimes we can be thinking we're doing all the right things, but we don't even realize that we're getting suffocated. We don't realize that we're comparing. We don't realize that we are attached to things in this life so much so that we don't realize it until they're removed. But God does it because He wants us to be healthy and mature. He wants us to be strong. He's talking about this unhealthy attachment. These things that compete with God, that are in competition with God. Just so you know, an idol is a substitute. It's quite simply this, anything that's more important to you than God. And I said in the, in the first service that uh, we talk a lot about the tree of forbidden fruit, right? You can trace the tithe way back to the Garden of Eden. You know, when people get up and, and give tithe messages in churches and even young people, when they talk about it, right, there's a plenty of scriptures that deal with the tithe. You know, even as far back as, as Abraham meeting Melchizedek on the, on the battlefield after he recovers Lot, gave him a tenth of everything. Some people think Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate of Jesus. He was tithing to Christ. 
But if you go way back to the Garden of Eden, God set two trees in the middle. And we hear a lot about the tree of forbidden fruit, but we seldom hear about the tree of life. And quite, he said to Adam, he said, you're going to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from this tree. This one's mine. You need to set it apart. Now that tree didn't stand on its own. It stood right next to this little reminder called the tree of life. And Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents acting independently from God, being attached to things that are unhealthy, that are suffocating, that are competing with God's attention. It represents growing unsatisfied with the level of spirituality that God gives you. Incidentally, you're only held to account in this Christian life to the level of revelation that God gives you. You're not held to account for revelation that you haven't been given, but to the level that He's actually shown you, the revelation that you've acquired through pain. That's what you're held to account for, your revelation. But right next to it, he put the tree of life. And, and he's basically saying to Adam, if you want to experience life, right, honor this, this worship gap. Honor this thing called separation, healthy separation. It's very difficult because Jesus is walking next to me. He's my friend. But at the same time, he's infinitely larger and I'm worshiping him. How do you balance that constant tension? He's my friend. I'm worshiping. He's my friend. Oh, let me say this. You're never more of a worshiper than when you bring your tithe. The tree that you can't touch. There's a reason we bring our tithes after praise and worship. Praise is cognitive. It's about us. Praise God for my new car, for my new job, for my wife, my husband, my kids, my friends, for all the great and wonderful things that are going on in my life. Praise God for healing in my life. Praise is about us. But then the curtain tears in a service and we all become a royal priesthood. We go into that place that was once only reserved for the priests. We now become a royal priesthood where we enter in and now we have access to the presence of God. And worship has got nothing to do with us. Worship is all about Him. It's all about Him. But then we're given an opportunity to bring our tithes. And that's the moment where we get to substantiate our worship and honour that healthy gap so that we don't grow contemptuous. We don't grow too familiar with God. The relationship is kept intact. intact. It's healthy. The thing I love about Philippians 3 is not just that it's talking about losing the attachment to things, but really that we're not going to experience intimacy and a life fulfilled with Christ until we let it all go. And I have found on my journey in this life is that we start out getting told we can be whatever we want to be, do whatever we want to do, go wherever we want to go, but it's not true. Ryan, if you want to be the next Kathy Freeman, Jimi Hendrix, next Prime Minister, next Phil Pringle, this sort of thing, you can be. It's not true. It's not true. We have to have a theology for grief we have to have a theology for suffering. We have to have a theology that balances the all things are possible network. We have to so that we have a healthy walk with Jesus. And the greatest power in life is a life laid down. We're told to stand up all of our lives, yet Paul says, no, 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 I need you to lay it all down. Jesus needs us to lay it all down because that's where His power reaches its full potential. That's where His grace reaches its full potential. That's where you actually experience the beginnings of great freedom. There's power in the laying of things down. Now I want to talk to you in the time that we've got left about some symptoms that are a sign that we're distant or we're becoming distant from Jesus. Those warning shots across the bow, very important. And I'm not just going to come with cliches and say, you've got to pray and read the Bible, although you do. I'm talking about symptoms that are insidious that creep into our society, but we need to differentiate ourselves and not let go of the distinctives. The first one here this morning is this, is when we try to live this life in our own strength. That's the first symptom that we've grown distant from Jesus. You know, 
I teach on the theology of the Holy Spirit at the college and it's been a wonderful journey of learning about who the person of the Holy Spirit is and how He fits into the triune being, this divine dance called the Trinity. And really the Trinity exists because love, if God is love, love can't exist on its own. It's gotta be more than one. There needs to be someone showing love and someone on the receiving end. It's called the divine dance. Greek term for it is perichoresis, which means uh, the idea of rotation, coexistence. And, uh, you know, there's many people that have broken it down. Pastor Phil has said that it's so glory will never rest. The Father shifts the glory to the Son. Son gets out of the way for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit points us back to a resurrected Son. The Son's given glory at the right hand of the throne of God. Glory never rests. That's the place of the Holy Spirit. But can I just say the point of spiritual baptism, getting filled with the Holy Spirit beyond the sinner's prayer. The Christian life doesn't get exciting until you get filled. Because the lights go and then you realize, hang on a minute, I don't need to live this life in my own strength. I can live and operate from a place of of rest. Have a listen to this. I did an album a couple of years ago called Sons Can Rest that came out of my journey or second conversion, if you will, in midlife where God was actually forcing me into a place where I had to really work out what I believed. And it was a wonderful time and a terrifying time. Have a listen to what I wrote down about this album. Because the revelation came out of the fact that we are not under Pharaoh anymore. We are free sons and daughters and free sons and daughters can rest. Listen to this. Sons can find themselves in a place of having to prove themselves most of their life. They're normally found working from the place of performance with an insatiable drive to keep up and win the approval of their mentors, their fathers and those that inspire them. But the sons of God are not of that kind. They've seen something way more powerful. They've seen what the Heavenly Father is like in comparison to the earthly fathers. They understand in the deepest places that they don't need to strive or perform in order to be received. You don't need to strive or perform in order to be received. The moment we feel that that performance anxiety, we've moved away from Christ. They work, they love, they live, they breathe, and they create from the place of rest because they know that they're already accepted, already approved, already loved, and already free. If you don't feel that sense of already been received... And that's a sign that you need to come back into loving union with Jesus. The second one is this, violating our limits. Violating our limits. What does that mean? It quite simply means this, living a life that He never called us to live. There are so many preachers in America with the tattoos up and down their left arm, with the disconnected haircut, with the ripped jeans, trying to preach like Carl Lentz and wondering why they're not experiencing great freedom because chances are they're probably trying to live a life that he hasn't called them to live. David was incredibly differentiated. So was Jesus, so was Paul. Anybody in the Bible who who brought radical change differentiated themselves from the crowd and celebrated their authentic self in God, despite being told they were crazy. We've got to differentiate ourselves and celebrate our uniqueness. And see, Paul's thorn, talking about the inadequacies, he begged God to take it away. God says, I can't. I have to leave it there because I need to keep your feet on the ground. I need to keep you in a place where you are reliant on me. That's my grace in disguise. That's my grace in disguise. When you're, when you're weak, right, my grace reaches its full potential because you're relying on me and you keep praying. We don't want to violate our limitations in this life, but rather celebrate them and change our language from saying, oh, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, I'm so busy, to saying, no, 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 I'm just limited. I'm just limited. There's some things that I can't get away with no matter how much I compare, no matter how much I try. It's just not working for me. Psalm 16 puts it beautifully, where David says, Lord, you alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Everybody say pleasant places. God's got a mission for each of us here. 
and it fits like a hand, a glove. And guess what? It fits within the game that we've each been drafted for. If we start trying to play a game that we haven't been drafted for, we're crashing. We're worn down. We're exhausted. We're hurried. We're harried. We're restless. We're flooded. We're no longer in a place where we are close to Jesus. We're now trying to do things our way. We're preferring to do the thinking ourselves. Peter Scherzero is my favorite author at the moment, and I've given 200, 300 copies of his books away. And he says this in, in his book about emotionally healthy spirituality, that there were three indicators that he was exceeding God's boundaries for his life, and God got his attention through three painful ways. I've read this book a thousand times. I've shared out of it. I've given it away. It's just fantastic. The first one was anger and depression as a result of overwork. A second one was a marriage crisis where his wife left the church. It eventually got restored, incidentally. And the last one, which I love, he said this, unfulfillment, which ran contrary to what Jesus promises us in Scripture. Unfulfillment. I dare say if you're feeling unfulfilled or disappointed, you're going to move back closer to Jesus. True fulfillment. Do you know what I've found in the second half of life, Christianity? My journey is this. I'm a bit more fruitful now than I ever was. And guess what? I'm not doing more. I'm doing less. Go and figure that one out. The third one, or the third symptom of distant life from Christ is quite simply this. Feeling the need to present a polished image. How are you, right? Oh, awesome. It's fantastic. We need to ban a couple of words in church life. Awesome's one. So good's another. They get thrown around like a hockey term. But we should really reserve them for when we're standing at the bottom of the Remarkables in Queenstown where we go, that's awesome, so good. That's really where we should perhaps reserve those terms. Or maybe if we're in Canada or we see a beautiful sunrise. We shouldn't necessarily throw it around so much. This scripture in John, Jesus says this, John chapter 4, but the hour is coming and now is where true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. In other words, Jesus is looking for, the Father's looking for authenticity. Come as you are. Kurt Cobain was onto something. Come as you are. Don't come masked, don't come polished. That doesn't mean you come with mediocrity in your heart, but it does mean stop trying to be someone you're not. Stop trying to present polished thinking that you're going to get God's attention. You can't. He sees you. He sees you. He's after authenticity. When you get close to Jesus, and you're not distant from Christ, but you're close, there's three things that take place. He heals your image of Him. When that happens, because we're created in His image, the image of ourselves gets healed. And then our image of others gets healed then our relationships are affected, positively affected. We can't be succumbing to the external pressures that the world puts on us. I'll say this today, and hopefully this will set a few people free. One of the biggest revelations I've gotten in the last three to four years is this. It's actually okay to not be okay. You know, the Bible's so full of confusing statements. In one chapter, Paul's saying, I'm struggling with sin. The next chapter is saying, I'm more than a conqueror. Make up your mind. <laughs> Wisdom's a two-sided coin. You don't have to come polished. Yeah, we're fine. Break through brick walls. More than a conqueror. No, no, no. You're also, don't apologize for your humanity. God can get your attention through negative emotions such as pain, sadness, anger, fear, disappointment. But the reason the Psalms are so important is because they give us the freedom to process the issues of the heart. That's why they're there. So that we're not apologizing for negative emotions, but we get to process God through those negative emotions. He'll still use you despite whether you're okay or not break your fall every time and the last one is this and perhaps the band could come on my final point 
And this is the fourth point and final point I want to make about symptoms of a distant life. And that is this, is that we start to anticipate judgment and punishment from God instead of love, grace and provision. (laughs) The reason it's called the good news is because if we dare to believe it was true, it's just unbelievable. It's almost too good to be true. That's why it's called the good news. It's called the good news. Now, if it doesn't feel like it's the good news or you're like, well, I'm just not getting it, get a little closer to Jesus. Allow the spiritual landscape on the inside to change. There's a little thing I teach on at the college. I call it the geographical lie. And that is this, that some people, they want to get out of Dodge, move overseas, live in Paris for a year. To change scenery geographically on the outside, there's a problem with the destination. When you get off the plane, you're there. When I was going through hell in my late 30s, I remember sitting on the couch in a very dark place and my beautiful, one of my beautiful daughters, Michaela, came downstairs. She was off with her friends. She spun her phone around, winked at me and showed me a YouTube clip of some people singing some of my worship songs in Asia. And then she winked at me and walked out. Kids are smart. I know what she was saying indirectly. She's saying, Dad, go and worship. I remember sitting at the piano at 6.15 that night and by five minutes to seven, I was somewhere else. We don't need a geographical relocation. We need an internal relocation. I was sitting at 90 Shearwater Drive in Warrywood, but I was somewhere else. The distance you can travel with Jesus on the inside is phenomenal because the spiritual landscape changes. Going at the speed of light. We don't want to be anticipating judgment and punishment, but instead love, grace and provision. David said it beautifully in Psalm 37. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. So we think, okay, if I tick boxes, go to Bible study, run a connect group, tithe above and beyond the 10%, give into vision builders, go to outreach programs, more God activity, more God activity, more God activity. He's going to answer the desires of my heart. Don't mishandle the Word of God. See it through the eyes and through the lens and the filter of a worshiper. David's saying, take delight in the Lord. In other words, when God's one inch from my face, He rewires my taste buds. My appetite changes. My desire for Him is rewired. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. How do we... How do we get closer to Christ when our appetite changes? Well, we've got to quite simply do this. It'd be pointless if I gave you these four points and didn't give you the antidote. Here it is. You ready for it? This is the way forward for the body of Christ. It's not bigger, better, faster, stronger, go further. We need to slow down our interior world for Jesus. We need to slow down and change gears on the inside and give sufficient time to Jesus again. The way we get closer to Christ is not by speeding up and speaking in tongues at the top of your voice for as fast as you can, for as long as you can. It's sitting still, waiting in that place, slowing down our interior world and going back into that place of love. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our church, find us online at c3churchwatson.com.au. We hope to see you in church again this weekend.